Hello, everyone, and welcome to another special guest episode of the Top Order podcast. Well, as you well know by now, Stuart and I have been talking a lot about spin bowling lately, so we thought, well, why not get some insights from one of the best in the business? Tonight's guest has played over 100 games for the Black Caps across all three formats and is fresh off a T20 World Cup run that took New Zealand all the way to the final. Ish Sodi, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Uh, cheers for having me, boys. Well, look, it's our pleasure to have you on the show and thanks for joining us. We're recording this on the 30th of November and you're out of MIQ tomorrow morning. You must be looking forward to getting home. You guys have been away for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. It's been um, close to three months now and thankfully the, the rules have changed kind of midway through. So it's only a seven-day hotel quarantine as opposed to the 14. So no, I think the boys are pretty wrapped to get out and, and get amongst some sort of freedom and, and just a bit of normality. And did you do we watching the test last night? That uh, yeah, obviously this might come out in a few days' time. But the first tests, New Zealand and India. I was um, bloody nervous at the time watching, but how good was it to see Ajaz at the end there battle away? I, obviously, Ratchin did a, a great job as well, but I'm pretty biased towards number 11s. <laughs> no, my, my nails are chewed up, mate. I was watching it. Um, you know, like it was a great time actually in MIQ. The games would start at 5 p.m. and you really got no other obligation, so you just sit there and watch the entire test unfold and. It's just a great display of why Test Cricket is so exciting. And um, I guess, you know, the draw in the end almost felt like a bit of a win for us because in those conditions against against that opposition, man, it's a pretty special thing to achieve. And young guy on debut being carried by the old statesman, AJ's Patel. I mean, you can't really ask for too much more, can you? No, absolutely not. And I mean, you've actually, uh, I remember actually you and um, Neil Wagner doing the same thing uh, against England. I mean, you sort of touched on it just before, but do those kind of wins like feel, or do those kind of results feel as satisfying as a win? Because, yeah, you're sort of not expected to, to be getting that draw in that situation. Yeah, I suppose it just shows a great defiance. And, you know, I guess that word can be thrown around quite a lot um, in the coming days, but. Um, you're up against all odds, I think, especially in the conditions they've been in, man. Like, spin, a lot of the teams go over there and get crumbled by their spinners. You know, Ravi Ashwin, Ravi Jadeja, and now Aksa Patel's bowling really well at the moment. And um, to defend the ball for that long in those conditions is, is something that's really difficult to do for top order batsmen, let alone guys down the you know, lower order. Uh, it's not taking anything away from Rutchen. He's a you know, very, very accomplished first class player already, but. I think even Will Somerville's contribution at the top of the order, mate, like, you know, this is what dreams are made of. Uh, day five test matches and, you know, you want to win test matches, but I guess, I guess draws in this regard are almost as, as good as a win. Yeah, I was definitely rooting for for Will Somerville as a, as a fellow offie yeah, to, to keep going. I thought he might bat all day there. He was looking great. But, um, look, before we, we'll, we'll get stuck into the, the World Cup chat, but before we do that, how's your, how's your head, by the way? That David Visa can hit a ball. Jeez, it, it was scary watching it, watching it at home here. Yeah, thankfully, um, my hands got in the way. Um, got a fair bit of stick from the boys for not catching it. Um, you know, I, was, I kind of nicknamed myself Glue Hands for a while there because I hadn't dropped the catch for a while, so I um, kind of lost that name, which was a bit of a shame. Um, but it was more so like kind of later in the in the competition, we, we ventured over to India and a ball came past my head even quicker and I had, had no chance to even see it. So I was in a, in a few few wars when it came to caught and bolts, but... Um, but yeah, it's 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 just lucky that it didn't sort of get me any any lower on the head. Is that something you guys train for as a as a bowling unit? Do you practice now? Obviously, with a lot of T Twenty cricket, there's a lot more balls coming back at you at pace. Is that something that you guys train for? Definitely not enough. Um, I think it's you know probably highlighted the last wee while, but it's definitely something we 
we can neglect at times, um, you know, just you tend to forget, I think, as a bowler, that as soon as you let the ball go, your main job is now fielding, um, you know, so, so you almost have to prepare for it. But it's definitely something kind of upon reflection off this World Cup is, is something I'd like to train a bit more of. Mm. Yeah, and obviously in that T20 World Cup campaign, let's touch on it a little now, New Zealand all the way to the big dance yet again. And that's something that's become a trend with this Black Cap side over the past five or six years. What is it about your team, Ish, that makes it possible to consistently get yourself to the pointy end of these big tournaments against, well, let's face it, some maybe more fancied rivals on paper and in terms of, you know, playing budgets? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Um, the I suppose the consistent success that the team's been having over the past few years, and um, you know, T Twenty cricket, we've been a successful team, but across all formats, um, to I guess compete in major ICC events, uh, whether it's one day formats, uh, making two finals, and obviously the World Test Championship, which was phenomenal earlier this year, and. I guess to get to the final of the T20 World Cup, um, probably against all odds, I don't think many people favoured us uh, to get that far. Um, it's probably something that was highlighted quite a bit once we got there. Um, oh, you know, I genuinely think it's down to a really core, a strong core of senior members of the side that are kind of leading the way for the for the younger younger guys to come in and, and just be able to express their skills really well. Um, you know, the, the top guys like Kane, Roscoe, um, Tim and Trent, you know, Wags, these guys have been there for a long period of time and, and they've kind of set a great example for, for everyone else coming in. And I think that's kind of showing up in a lot of success that we're having. And obviously the, the final didn't go sort of how we hoped it would or, or uh, the man upstairs there, Bully, we, we won't touch too much on it because, uh, yeah, he was relatively happy with the result. But but what about that knock from Kane? You touched on him before. I mean, that was just unreal. And, and I mean, after watching that, like, did you guys kind of feel like you had enough at, at the break? Yeah, look, the way he played was crazy. Um, you know, taking Mitch Stark the way that he did. Mitch Stark's one of the best bowlers that's probably walked the earth with a white ball in his hand. So uh, the way that he played him was world-class. Um, and and definitely, I think, runs on the board are, are always great to have in big games like that. Um, and, you know, you probably wanted a, a few more runs. I mean, you always want a few more. But um, I guess in the end, uh, it just wasn't enough with the way that, um, you know, the, the Aussies built a, a really strong partnership through that power playing in through the middle period it was really tough to contain but it's a shame that a knock like Kane's kind of goes um to a losing cause because like you say it's just one of the best knocks I've seen in D20 cricket so yeah and uh, yeah look I, I actually tend to agree I, I said it on um our podcast a, a week or so ago that like I feel like Australia would have chased down anything that night it, it was sort of one of those days where Warner and, and Marsh were just locked in but you know like I guess moving sort of out wider on the tournament, a lot was made of the toss in that tournament and kind of the due. Can you kind of explain from a from a playing point of view why there was so much chat about that? Like I think I've heard people talk about it quickened up the pitch or something like that. Is that is that right? I think um, there's kind of been a stigma around the UAE for the last wee while. Like I remember reading a stat maybe going into the final or just before saying that 16 of the last 18 games had been won chasing um in dubai so so i guess there's a bit of a psychological factor there as well winning the toss i guess gives you that bit of confidence um going in to say you know like history suggests that this is the the way to to win games majority of games at this ground certainly um later in the tournament um you know when we first got to the uae it was it was real hot it was like 40 45 degrees but i suppose towards the back end of the tournament when we actually started playing a lot of games um yeah, you know the weather started to cool down quite a lot 
Um, and I think that change in temperature certainly brought a lot more dew than, than perhaps at the start of the tournament. And so it was definitely something to factor in later in the tournament. Um, and that was kind of when we played the majority of our night games. So it was just a challenge that we had to overcome. And in terms of the final, was was dew a factor in the second innings? It certainly seemed like in a lot of games, you know, teams talked about the dew being a factor, but I don't remember there being much chat about the dew at, at the outcome or at the conclusion of the final. Was it was it an uh, an influencing factor when you guys were having to bowl in that second innings? Um, I don't think it was that much of a factor. I think the wicket generally might have benefited a little bit from it. Um, it might have got a little bit better to bat on. Um, but I think it's just a game of momentum. You know, the guys just um, came out in that power play and, and kind of from ball one, like the way Mitch Marsh, Marsh was hitting the ball, it was really hard to contain whether there was due, whether it was a slow wicket or, mm. you know, what, what conditions you were faced with. The guy just had a great night. Mm. Um, and and so I think upon reflection, it was always going to be, um, I guess, history suggested that it was going to be tougher to, to bat first. Um, but I don't think the due played a hell of a, a hell of a big role. And let's go right back to the start of the tournament. That first game against Pakistan, certainly if we're looking at social media as any indication, a huge game and their fans were, were very much looking forward to it. Um, and we could sort of see it on TV. That crowd was was electric. What was it like for you guys in the game? Was that something that you really took notice of in the early stages of that Pakistan game? Um, definitely because I guess the last wee while that we've kind of had COVID as, as a – you know, obstacle that we've had to face around cricket. We've, you know, had a lot of games where we haven't had any crowd. So to come out to Sharjah, like, you know, I think initially they said that there was going to be 70% capacity crowd, but you couldn't see any empty seats in there. It was mm. just heaving, you know, a sea of green, the passion that the Pakistani fans brought. And and obviously there was a, um, you know, a fair bit of unrest. Obviously we had left uh, Pakistan um, through some security concerns. So they were really looking forward to seeing New Zealand play against Pakistan. And this was a, a great chance for, for the tournament to start off with the Hassan Raw. So it was phenomenal. Um, the energy of the crowd was great and and the cricket on show was awesome too. And what was the relationship like on the field between, you know, the Black Caps and the Pakistani players? The two nations traditionally have got along very well in terms of their on the field cricket um, relationship. What was it like having had to pull out of the tour and then meeting them again in the first game of the cup? Was it a little bit, um, little bit tense out there, or was everyone kind of in good spirits? Yeah, we've been asked asked that question quite a lot, eh? And um, it's, it's funny because like it didn't really feel like there was anything going on between us or the, and the the other playing group. And I think it was just something that was sparked up on social media. And you know what what it's like these days. Um, you know, people get an idea and they kind of roll with it. Um, but the Pakistani team have always been a great team to socialise with. Um, they're very, very respectful, polite. They play cricket in a really, really great spirit, very passionate about the game, and they're incredibly talented and very competitive. So um, that was always something that was going to shine through. And and um, I guess I guess the other stuff was just uh, a lot of white noise, but, um, but white noise on a massive scale. Mm. Yeah. And your good point about the Pakistan team because I, I think I saw some footage of them uh, maybe maybe I can't remember who it was going into the dressing room or maybe Namibia or Scotland or some one of the the lesser ranked nations and um yeah it looked some really cool stuff that they they did off the field and, and I think even when they were here did some really cool stuff so um good on you for pointing that out but let's let's move to that game against India you played a starring role which will give you a shout out it's not the first time you've done that in a, in a t20 world cup um you've got a really good record against them you dismissed Coley and Rohit, which obviously surely makes it a nice one to, to look back on. But I, I, th- I kind of want to ask specifically about matchups because 
it seems like T20 cricket is just it's just all about matchups now. It's certainly what we hear about off, you know, from, in the commentary and, um, you know, you can kind of see it when different bowlers come on. Do you kind of know it as a player, like before the start of the game that, you know, you might have a favoured matchup with Coley, for example, and as soon as he comes in, you're going to come on to bowl or is, or is it actually a bit more fluid than that uh, when you're on the field? I guess if you can kind of sum up that question, I think the, the first thing that comes to mind is data. Like the amount of data that you have at your disposal nowadays, even compared to when I started my career, is just crazy. Like, you know, it comes down to dot ball percentages, how many times certain batters get out to certain types of bowlers, um, you know, on what, what conditions do they score the most, um, balls that hit the stumps do they score, balls that don't hit the stumps. So there's just so much information that you're flooded with all the time. And I think the matchups thing that, you know, you speak about has started so much more in this day and age, but which I think there's, there's definitely a huge amount of benefit in it, but I reckon it's personally can sometimes take away the instinctive side of T20 cricket. And that's what I reckon the, the best players have is that kind of ability to really back their instincts, whether it's okay, like I'm really feeling good today. This bowl is bowling. I'm going to take him on brilliant, try to do it and it might come off might not, but, but I guess if you're always caught up in that matchup thing, you're kind of like, well, if I, I need to work on this, but then kind of, you know, don't really allow yourself to think about the other threats or, or other other kind of obstacles that you face out there, but yeah, it's definitely something that's spoke about spoken about a lot more nowadays. And in terms of your role, Ish, I mean, leg spinning's hard enough as it is without having to think about okay, I need to bowl this particular type of ball or this variation or this subtle adjustment to my pace or my flight or whatever. Like, just landing a leggy is hard enough as it is without having to have all of those kind of variations. How do you have to adjust your your preparation, your training, the way that you practice in order to be able to have not just a stock ball, but eight or nine different variations that you can call on and have to execute under pressure in those kind of key T20 moments? Because it can come down to one ball in, in, some, in some games. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think... Um... I guess the best way for me to kind of answer that question is just kind of like think about a scenario that we're faced with, say if, uh, you know, in the semi-final we're about to face Mo and Ali. And Mo and Ali is notoriously known for taking spin bowlers down. Um, and he's got a great swing path, allows him to free his arms. So I guess leading into a big game against a guy like Mo and Ali, you want to think, right, what's going to be my option to, just, you know, not allow him to free his arms as much? And it might be that you bowl the ball down leg side, you know, wrong and that pitch just outside leg stump to try to hit his pad. And so that's something that you train kind of two or three days out. Um, you know, it might be something that you've not tried before, but something that you know that the data suggests actually really works. And, you know, over a long period of time, the data kind of adds up. So you kind of take that into your training and, and bolt to a left-hander in the nets and then try to try to go out there and try to execute it in the game. Stuart and I have talked a lot lately about T20 cricket and how it's changed the game for, for spin bowlers, wrist spinners in particular, because at the start of T20, wrist spinning was almost an afterthought. We thought everyone was going to get smashed. Everyone went in with fast bowling units, but it's been the opposite. Spin bowling, particularly wrist spin, has thrived, and bowlers have got so many more variations now and so many more tricks in their bag. And then you compare that to test cricket, and we almost see that most parts of the world spins almost an afterthought. How has sort of the evolution of T20 cricket impacted your approach to the game and and how you go about your bowling um yeah i think um probably the last 10 10 or so years um it's kind of been you know a period where league spinners have kind of shown their wares in t20 cricket a lot um you know most teams that you see around the world have at least one wrist spinner in their side 
you know, and I think the best ones um, thrive when they're complemented with a strong pace bowling attack or, or a, you know, a finger spinner that's a, a very tight and frugal spin bowler, you know, some, something like Mitchell Satner. Um, but I think leg spinners have generally done really well in T20 cricket with the ability to spin the ball both ways. Um, it just gives the captain and, and the bowler an option to spin the ball away from either the right or left hand batsman, um, which generally is a, a good defensive and attacking option. And I think that's that's one reason why they've thrived. Um, but I guess I guess looking at test cricket, um, other than Yasser Shah, there hasn't been too many leg spinners, um, you know, since Warney that have done exceptionally well in test cricket. And I think that just comes down to um, the wickets that have been produced, uh, finger spinners and the accuracy has been a, a huge factor in, in helping them be successful and in test cricket and and I think um that's probably one thing that, that works really well in leg spinner's favor is the odd ball that you know comes out slightly shorter and wider gets cut for one and as opposed to in test cricket gets cut for four um and so you can still build on that pressure um so I think that's definitely a, a huge factor as in, into why they've done been successful in T20 career and I mean you you had a crack at test cricket really early on in your career it, it definitely I don't know from the outside I guess it seemed like you're a real case of you know they sort of talk about learning on the job um for you at that level because you hadn't played much first class cricket how, how do you kind of look back at that experience now was it like a tough experience going in or was it like do you think about it as an awesome opportunity that you kind of got to see where you're at at a young age yeah where, where, where do you view it Oh, there's certainly mixed emotions. Um, you know, it was it was a time where I hadn't played really any cricket at all. Um, you know, pretty much came straight out of club cricket. Um, I remember losing my spot to uh, to a certain Stuart Lipshaw on the Auckland A side. Um, and so, um, yeah, it was I was pretty pretty green around the edges, eh? Like, um, come pretty pretty much coming out of school cricket and then club cricket and and um, playing I think five or six games of first class cricket into tests. Um, it was probably something I wasn't really ready for at the time um looking back uh you know while i look back at the opportunity being a great one and you know being exposed to some great players of spin and and exposed to different parts of the world uh at such a young age coming from a really small town like papa toy toy um it's pretty exciting times um i guess looking back at it it's probably helped in my role of developing into a you know i guess white ball player later on in my career um that sort of resilience you learn at such a young age i reckon holds you in good stead um, but I can't help but think it would be great to have another crack and, and also uh, what it would have been like if I debuted in test cricket if I was 25 or 26 with a bit of experience uh, under my belt. Um, where it's hard not to think about those things, I think you've got to look back at it with a, with as much of a positive attitude as you can because um, if, if it hadn't been the case, then I probably wouldn't have found white ball cricket like I have. Oh, thanks for the shout out there, Ish. Um, I, I actually was no no joke. I was saying to to Baldy before we started that uh, when I played Auckland A's, I couldn't. I, you, I think you came down actually in, in the first game that I played, and I I said to the, a few other guys, I cannot believe that they're picking uh, me, this old man, and instead of this young guy, he's he's uh, he's going definitely eclipse what i can do and, and you've certainly proved that right. So I'll, you're a lot I'll younger. Take... You're younger than you make out though. I'm, you're not that old, eh? Uh, I'm about what am I? About 37 now, mate. So, uh, no, but yeah, still, still young at heart. Oh my god, I can make ancient <laughs> too, mate. <laughs> but uh, I, you, do you play for? Did you play for Cornwall or East Coast Bays? East Coast Bays, East Coast Bays. We're all all Bays boys on this this podcast. So, uh, yeah. we try and give try and give Schmulzy and uh, and Cam Fletcher a bit of a shout out whenever we can. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
And you, you touched on it a bit there with kind of where you're at with, with test cricket. I mean, I think your, your last test maybe was that awesome series in Pakistan in 2018. You, it, it seems like it is a goal of yours to get back to test cricket. How do, how do you kind of go about doing that if that's the case? Because I guess with white ball cricket, it takes up so much of your, your year if you're going to be going, you know, IPL stuff and, and going around the world playing different formats. And then also, like you touched on it when, when we were talking to Baldy before, it, it's it's a different type of training, I'm sure, about what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, sort of where are you, where are you at with, with Test Cricket now? Yeah, um, that's exactly right. I think um, personally there's still a, a huge burning desire to get back playing Test Cricket. Um, you know, I still come from that sort of purist mindset um, growing up in the in the 90s and early 2000s watching Warney, Cumbley and, and McGill Um you know, can't help but seeing those guys as your heroes and, and wanting to emulate what they did. Um, although that's you know a lot more difficult than than they made look on the TV back then, which is which is kind of niggly. But cheers, guys. Um, yeah, like I guess the training is different, but but a big part of it is is just the the chance to play more first class cricket more consistently. Um, and I guess there's a a party that almost has to you know weigh up whether whether playing a lot of white ball cricket is, is to the detriment of your red ball stuff or or whether you can find that balance in your training as well. And I think um, it is probably about changing your training up a little bit more, um, not thinking too tactically about T20 cricket, but just building those fundamentals up again of, you know, how you can get them drawing forward and playing defensive strokes on the front foot for longer. And, and um, I'm certainly a firm believer that if you've got those fundamentals behind you, it makes T20 cricket even easier. Um, but it's just finding that sort of block uh, of first class games and I've been fortunate over the past five or six years to play a lot of first class cricket and um, and it'll just be nice to get another couple of years years of that and, and hopefully um, continue some solid first class form and, and hopefully that means that there's a call up around the corner but it's definitely something I'll strive for over the next wee while and, and you know being 29 years old although I feel like I've been around forever I um, still feel relatively youthful um, at this stage. Yes well Wrist spinners don't come into their own until they're, until they're mid, mid to late 30s anyway. So you've got plenty of time, Ish, and we'll be rooting for you to get back. Just wanted to touch on on some of the work that you're doing in the IPL. Over the last couple of years, you've been part of the backroom staff for, I think it's Rajasthan, I, I think if that's right, as, as a team liaison and, and spin consultant. I guess, firstly, were you able to actually get involved with, with Rajasthan over the last couple of IPL seasons with COVID playing a part? And what sort of role does a team liaison play and a spin consultant play in those IPL sites? Yeah, so um, I guess initially the the conversation was had around the spin bowling consultant stuff, and that was that was mainly the role that I was going to take up. Um, and I guess the alluring factor about it was, um, you know, well, I, I guess firstly the the reason I probably got the role was when I played there for a couple of years, um, worked pretty closely with some of the young spinners there, and um, developed some pretty good and strong relationships with them, and. And uh, we were able to achieve some pretty cool things. So it was it was nice that, um, you know, although I wasn't required in a playing capacity in that third year, um, I was asked back to, to come and do this role. And I guess another reason why, um, you know, I kind of explored that opportunity was with COVID being around, um, with, you know, the quarantine periods that were around, if you were required to be a replacement player, um, it was a lot less simple than just being able to get on a flight and go and, and start playing. Um and so the, the opportunity was there if there was injuries around um, to get back playing because that was obviously, well, it is still obviously the priority is to play as much cricket as possible. But um, that was kind of, I guess, the, the blueprint around it all. 
and I guess playing's definitely on the radar for you. You're throwing your name in the mix for the big expansion auction coming up in the next IPL? Yeah, I have a little dabble. Um, see how we go. Um, oh, it's, it's such a great tournament to be a part of, Baldy. It's just like, um, it's like a, it's like, it's like a disco ball event. Like there's always something going on. You know, everyone's having a great time. There's music everywhere and the quality of cricket's so high. I mean, you play some games, you just feel like you're playing international cricket the whole time. You know, rock stars come out to bat, you know, Pollards and your AB de Villiers and you tested at your nerve at the, the highest level. I mean, there's nothing, nothing quite like it. And, and how do those auctions work? Like, do you, do you get any clues beforehand that there's interest in you or is it like, you know, like I'm thinking of someone like Kyle Jameson, right? He's had a life changing moment in that, that auction. Does he know beforehand that something's going to happen? I think I heard that he, he kind of went to bed and, you know, then, uh, you know, woke up just around the time. Maybe he's playing that down for the, the media. But, you know, like, do you actually know, okay, a couple of teams are, are going to bid on me or not? Um, well, you definitely don't know, you know, if there are a couple of specific teams that are going to bid on you. But I guess the, um, I guess the thing is, like, if you're running hot and your form's been really good and you've got a skill set like Kyle, you know, a big fast bowler and, and generally, like, big hard-hitting batsman, um, probably the two types of um, overseas players that people look for a lot. I think you, you you probably have a good chance. So so you know we don't kind of have any any specific hints or anything like that. I think um, uh, you definitely would expect guys like that with that sort of skill to get some bites. But um, no, it's just it's just random, isn't it? Like um, it's pretty much like being being an object on an eBay um, auction, and um, you know you you get picked up for for whatever you know. I, any team um, kind of places a dollar value on, on your skill set. It's a pretty, pretty unique place to be, um, uh, but definitely a very exciting tournament to be a part of. Thank you so much for spending a bunch of time with us each this evening on the Top Order podcast. Before we let you go, one World Cup just gone, another one not far away uh, in Australia 2022. So what's the next year look like for you building up to that tournament? Does anything look different for you preparing for Australian conditions, slightly different wickets, slightly different boundary dimensions, slightly different ground sets. What's it look like for you in terms of building up for that tournament? Yeah, I think simply um, in the UAE and probably Asian conditions, side spin plays a big role uh, as a spin bowler. Um, you want to be able to skid the ball sometimes, you know, in places like Sharjah. Uh, and, and if you do want to turn it, you want to turn it at pace where, uh, you know, Australia's got bouncy wickets and obviously being quite a tall bowler, I want to extract as much bounce as I can. So overspin um, is probably going to be the, the main focus over the next year or so. And, and we're going into a super smash campaign now, uh, which will be pretty exciting. And the wickets are generally pretty true and the boundaries are pretty small. So it's a great place to learn T20 cricket and, and T20 skills. So um, along with that and some international uh, tours coming up over the next six to eight months, I think we'll, be, we'll have plenty of time to prepare for that World Cup. Yeah, well, certainly all the best for that Super Smash coming up. We're looking forward to having cricket return to Auckland and, and to all parts of New Zealand. And we're very much looking forward to having our um, Black Caps and domestic heroes running around in the Super Smash. I'm very much looking forward to getting down to the Outer Oval at Eden Park and enjoying that. Ish Sodi, thank you so much again for joining us here on the Top Order podcast. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, talking wrist spin, uh, spinner to spinner, all the, albeit uh, ones of very, very different skill levels. But thank you so much for joining us on the program. Cheers, boys.